Oh, was that alarm clock not the worst this morning? My goodness, Casey always gives me this week. Every single year, I feel like, like, thank you for coming. I'll try to use my calming radio voice so you can take a good nap uh, during. Anyway, last week uh, we started the series on parables, and uh, Casey unpacked the parable of the shrewd manager. Uh, Now, don't you dare, a single person, tell him that I said this, but he did an excellent job unpacking a very hard parable. Don't tell him. I'm, he's not going to listen to this, so he's not going to know unless you tell him. So don't. Anyway, he did a great job. I, I, I told him I hate that parable because it's like it's so hard, but he did a great job. Um, so this week, we're going to look at two parables. And uh, on the surface, they look like uh, pretty easy to understand parables, but I think we need to really take a step back and look at them maybe in a different light. We're in Luke chapter 13. If you have your scriptures with you, if you can flip over or open the app, uh, however you choose to do it, I'll be using the NIV, the, the TNIV, the updated NIV edition. Um, so just to let you know that if you have a different version. Uh, Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 18, says, then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall we compare it? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked it's all, it worked all through the dough. So Casey gives me this week, and I always talk about food when I'm up here. So it's like... I guess I'm stuck with a parable about food. Um, so mustard and yeast, there you go. I get to continue my trend. So two parables. Now oftentimes you'll notice in, in the teachings of Jesus, sometimes he says one parable, sometimes he, he provides one parable. Sometimes in the instance, uh, a few chapters later in Luke, you have the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son, what we call it sometimes. Um, sometimes he does it in groups of three. This time, uh, this week, we're going to talk about where he does it in a couplet, uh, two at a time. And so each time that there's multiple parables together, you, we assume or we know that the, the last one is the one with the most significance, right? They build on top of each other. In the instance of the coin, the sheep, and the sun, obviously the most powerful, poignant uh, story parable is the parable of the lost son, right? Jesus spends most time the most time on that, and we understand that one, and it hits us right here. So when you see multiple parables, you always look to the second one as being sort of the key parable, and the first one just kind of builds on top of it. So here we have Jesus talking about mustard and yeast. And now yeast, probably you've heard a lot about yeast in, in the Bible. It's almost always talked about, well, I'm going to spoil it. It is always talked about negatively in Scripture. Uh, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians and Galatians. He talks about be careful of the yeast because it works its way through the rest of the dough. And what he's talking about, he's talking about sexual sin in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about envy. He's talking about malice. He's talking about anger. He's talking about sin. And in Galatians, he's talking about sin. Be careful not to let your sin grow and permeate through the rest of the dough like yeast. In the Old Testament, we know that Jews... Um, over the week of Passover, they call it the Passover feast. Um, 
Passion Week, we call it, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. That's Passover week. And we know communion is, you know, the, the night of the Passover meal. Well, they were required to have no leaven or yeast in their bread uh, for the Passover meal. And the reason is that in Exodus, if you go all the way back, God tells the people, you must eat unleavened bread so that you remember the deliverance that I, that I did for you when I brought you out of Egypt. See, the idea of yeast in the Bible is that um, if you're familiar, bakers, any bakers, bread makers out here, uh, anybody? So yeast and leaven, really, is fermented dough. Uh, you know, if you put yeast in something, it makes it rise. Uh, with flatbread or naan, uh, we use each week, we take these little crackers, right? They're unleavened. They're not, uh, they didn't rise. So you have unleavened bread, and then you have leavened bread, which really, in essence, is some sort of sourdough, right? Because what it is, is the yeast is actually fermented. And then it works its way inside the dough, and the dough rises. And so the idea is, in the, in the Old Testament, is that that's sort of man-made um, massaging of the natural ingredient that God provided, a flour of, of wheat and making flour. So it's, it's mixing something into something natural. And so the idea of unleavened bread is purity, is, is un, um, unadulterated, is pure. Okay? And so we get to our, our, our chapter here in Luke 13, and I'm going to tell you, most of the time that I've heard this, these parables talked about, probably you have too if you've ever heard them taught or, or spoken about, is how the kingdom of God starts out small, like a mustard seed, like it started with Jesus in the Middle East, in this little tiny area of the world, started with Jesus, and he started this revolution that like a mustard seed, is, though it's small, it grew and it grew and it grew to spread through the nations. And then you take it to the yeast, and it's the same thing. Yeast, Jesus' message, his, um, his person, the Christianity as it is, the faith, would you, started out small and worked its way through the entire nation. We've probably heard something along those lines right before. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, because obviously that is true. But I don't think that that's what Jesus is saying in these two parables. And I, I hope to show you in this time, I, time that we have that Jesus is speaking these two parables as warnings to us. Now, I'm usually a positive guy. I'm usually a, a, a glass half full kind of guy. I don't like to look at the negative. But I kept reading this over and over again. I read commentators who said, well, Jesus, you know, the Bible always talks about yeast in the negative way except this one passage. And I was like, what? And every commentator I read almost said the exact same thing. Well, it always, it always says something bad about yeast, except this one time where Jesus says how big the kingdom is going to get. And I'm like, I read this chapter and this verse and these parables. And that's not what I get. So one thing uh, I'm going to hammer home every time I'm up here is context matters. We cannot take a verse of Scripture outside of its original meaning and make a doctrine out of it or make theology out of it. We just cannot. We have to put ourselves where 
it was, where they were at the time that it was written. We have to look at what's before and after the passage to be able to fully understand what it's meant, what it means. We need to try to put ourselves in the lives of the people that heard it, their culture, and to try to understand the passage a little bit more. And some of you, uh, it's not in the today's NIV version that I read, but some of you have a different version of the Bible, and you might see right before here, in, uh, instead of saying it says, then Jesus said, some of you may have said, therefore. And by scripture say, like, therefore. If it does, what we always say, this is the one thing I learned in Bible college that I remembered, is that if you see the words, or the word, therefore, you always have to look to see what it's there for. I mean, how many conversations do you start in casual to say, therefore, um, I was going to the, like, what are you talking about? It's always a pointer to something else, to something previously said. Paul uses it all the time to build upon his thoughts. So we have to look at what this passage says and where it is. So Luke chapter 13 there is this section of Luke, really all the way back to verse uh, chapter 12, and it goes all the way past the parable of the, of the lost son in Luke 16, 17. It goes all the way past. There's this, there's this conflict between Jesus and a group of people called the Pharisees and the leaders of the law. You have Pharisees, you have Sadducees, and then you have experts in the law that he calls them. And Time after time, starting with chapter 11 of Luke, you see Jesus doing something like he heals somebody on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees are like, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And Jesus is like, she doesn't deserve to be healed? No, because it's on the Sabbath. You should have waited. And there's another time where he's doing something, he again heals on the Sabbath day, and they're all upset. Because Jesus is working on the day that they're supposed to not work. And he's like, are you guys serious? Over and over again, if you look, he also noticed, it says that he went to a house where he was invited, and he noticed how all the Pharisees were jockeying for position to sit in the best seats of the, of the table. How they were all about appearance. He talks about how one, uh, talks about how the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray, and he prays. Thank God I'm not like that guy, the tax collector. Thank you for not making me like him. And if you just look through the headings of the scripture, he heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. He gets in trouble for that. He says that he didn't come to bring peace, but division. Because his message, for whatever reason, being the prince of peace, still divided people because the Pharisees and the leaders of the law couldn't accept what he was saying. They just couldn't see it. He has warnings. He has the parable of the rich fool who says, look, I have all of this stuff. Why don't I just hoard it and save it? And then right before chapter 11 of, of Luke chapter 11, we have these woes to Pharisees. And Matthew chapter 23 actually expands on the list. But listen to what Jesus has to say about the Pharisees and the leaders of the law. Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, 
but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats at the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because your unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. In Matthew chapter 11, this is where we hear Jesus calling them whitewashed tombs. Pretty on the outside, dead on the inside. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you lead people down the burdens they can hardly carry, and you, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors that killed them. So you testify, you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. And then, this is important, like three paragraphs down, he says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark, you will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rose. You see what he's saying there? Just one chapter before he tells us what the kingdom of God is like, yeast, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They followed the law on the outside. They knew the law back and forth. They made you feel guilty for not following it. But then when push comes to shove, it really didn't apply to them. It was all about appearances. They followed the law, but deep down they didn't really understand the concept of the law. Love God and love people. The law of God was not about religion. It was not about laws. It was about a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God and other people. Love God, love people. But Jesus over and over again says, you guys are missing that. You're not taking care of people. You're not honoring justice. You're just in it for you. And that's the problem sometimes with religion and sometimes the problem with sin is that we get it all caught up with ourselves. It's about what we do. It's about what we accomplish. It's about what we follow. And we follow it, and you don't, so you're a bigger sinner than me. And we get caught up in our pride, and it becomes sin, like yeast. And it starts small, but it grows, and it grows. Now, mustard. I, growing up um, in Beardstown, we had a Casey's pizza, uh, or Casey's, that just started making pizza. It was, you know, 80s, somewhere around there. And they kind of still do it, but it was sort of a bigger deal back then where they would have a pizza of the month, right? And they would come out with some special concoction, barbecue, or, you know, chicken bacon ranch, or really this was before the buffalo chicken craze. So, you know, Reuben pizza, stuff like that. And it would be for the month, and you would get it, and, you know, and that would be pretty much it, like a McRib, you know, it just disappears uh, for a year or so, and then they'll bring it back again. So we used to always get them. You know, we had a really good pizza place in Beardstown. I still go back to this day to get it. It's best pizza ever. Sorry, pizza man, I love you, but um, anyway. Uh, 
But every once in a while, you know, you need something different. So we would get the Casey's Pizza of the Month just to see what it was like. Now, one month, I can remember. It's funny how stuff you remember. I can remember this like it was yesterday. The pizza of the month was chili dog pizza. Now, I love chili dogs. I love chili. I like hot dogs. I like pizza. What could go wrong? So we order chili dog pizza. It comes. We take one bite of it. Now, you would think, I kind of like making pizza. We make homemade pizza a lot uh, on Saturday nights, kind of a pizza night. You would think that if I was saying I would make a chili dog pizza, then I would use chili as the sauce, right? Makes sense. Did they use chili as a sauce? (laughs) No, no, no. They used a mixture. Oh, I can still taste it to this day. I hate talking about it. They used a mixture of ketchup and mustard as the sauce. Put the regular mozzarella and cheddar mixed cheese on top. Then the chili was sprinkled with the hot dog. Why? Why wouldn't you just make the chili? But I took, that's the first pizza, the only pizza in my life that I had not been able to finish. It was awful. Why? Because they put mustard on a pizza. I like mustard. I like it a lot. I like spicy mustard. I like brown mustard. I like mustard. Not on pizza. <laughs> but what's the deal with mustard? One little taste of it makes everything taste like mustard, right? I mean, you just can't get that taste out of your mouth. You're going to be thinking about this pizza like all the time. Oh, that's nasty. So mustard seed. Jesus is using this illustration. It's... If, it's like, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that's planted in the garden. I learned more about mustard than I wanted to, talking about this parable, but I was trying to understand it because to me, I just just wasn't grasping it. Did you know that mustard seeds, the mustard seeds that Jesus is talking about, which is black mustard, anybody heard of that? In, I think, 47 of the 50 states, To this day, it's considered a noxious plant. In California, Kim, any other California people, in California, it's a felony to print it, to, to plant it, because it's a weed. It's a weed that you cannot get rid of. It grows and it actually aids in the wildfires in western uh, the western United States. Because it's dry, you know, mustard's dry. And so it actually aids in that. And even if it burns, it still comes back the next year. You cannot get rid of it. I ask you this question. I'm a terrible gardener. Uh, we, if, anyway, we're really bad. We, we're not good at gardening. Some of you are. Some of you are excellent at it. Does that sound like a plant that you would like to plant in your garden? If you planted a mustard seed in your garden, you would have a mustard garden. You wouldn't have fancy tomatoes and lettuce and radishes or whatever. You would have mustard, and you would have that for the rest of its existence. Does that sound happy to you? So Jesus is saying this to people, and even then it was illegal to plant in Palestine at the time. So Jesus is saying, oh, the kingdom of God is like this happy mustard seed that you plant in a garden. You're like, whoa, I am not planting that in my garden. Or is he saying, beware of letting mustard seeds get in your garden? 
Beware of letting the yeast of sin and doubt and religion seep in to your dough. Because if you do, if you let those little grains, they can overtake your entire garden. Beware of that. Did you know there's another garden in the Bible? Garden of Eden, sound familiar? Adam and Eve placed in the garden. God says, you can, you got the lay of the land. Do whatever you want, except two things, right? There's a tree, two trees, don't eat from them. That's it. Everything else is for fair game. So one day, Eve, strolling around the garden, just happens to be, I'm sure it's pure coincidence that she was hanging around the tree that she wasn't supposed to eat from, because we never do that, anything like that. She hears a voice. Hey! Looks good, doesn't it? Look at that. Eve's like, no, 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 no. God said we can't, we can't, we can't eat from that. He, he doesn't want us to. Did God really say that? Or maybe he doesn't want you to eat that because you'll be smarter than him, or at least you'll, you'll know what he knows, and he's scared of that. Did, did God really say not to eat it? And that seed of doubt, that little tiny seed, planted itself, and she allowed it to get in, and it permeated through the whole thing. Now she's questioning herself. She's questioning God. She's questioning everything that she knew that she thought but she let that little voice, you know what? Yeah, you're right. So she took it. Adam, she gave it to him. Now, Adam, he didn't see fight, fight back too much. It's like, oh, okay, Eve did it. Well, not me. And then you notice it just became a spiral downhill. Because when God confronted them, what did they do? Do you remember? They blamed each other. The relationships were broken. The relationship between God and man, the relationship between mankind, Adam and Eve, was broken because they let that little seed of doubt, they let it grow. And so, as we, the people of God, we need to be careful not to let the little seeds of sin grow. Whether it be as a sexual sin, whether it be sins of, of anger or malice or jealousy or rage, or dare I say, like the problem with the, with the Pharisees at the time, let our religion get in the way of the relationship, like the Pharisees. You notice that Jesus, when I read that, Jesus didn't say you shouldn't do any of those things that you did. You should go to church. You should read your Bible. You should listen to you know, Christian music, you should do all these things. Those are good. Those are fine. But as long as you're forgetting to take care of the people that I've put in your way, that's where you're failing, and that's where you're sinning. And see, the problem with religion, with me at least, is you often hear people say, I don't go to church because it's filled with a bunch of, are they wrong? I'm one. I drive 60... Five miles an hour to work every day. If somebody passes me, wow, you're going pretty fast. Or I pass somebody, 
I can't believe you're on your phone. Because their sin's worse than mine, right? I mean, I'm fine. That's what we do. And we treat it like this, this staircase to heaven, if you will. I probably got that song through your head now. The staircase to heaven where we think we follow something religious. We go to church every week. That's one more step in the ladder that, or in the, in the staircase that we have to heaven. And then we look down at people that aren't in church. What are you doing down there? Get to church. Your lawn could be mowed some other time. And then you try to take another step. Oh, I'm getting so close to God. Right? But there's not a single thing we have to remind ourselves every day that there is not a single thing that we can do. There is not a ladder that we can climb. There's not a staircase that we can step up that will get us in good grace with God. Nothing. And so we are in the exact same position as every other person that has ever lived. We're sinners saved by grace. And so as we come to this part of communion, we have to remember, we take this unleavened bread every week, and it's a symbol of Jesus being pure. He was in the world, but he was not of the world. He was religious, but it didn't get in the way of his relationships. He was without sin. He was without blemish. And he gave himself up for us. And he reminds us that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He lived on this earth for 33 years and showed us a better way to live. He showed us the, the relationship. He showed us how to love God and how to love other people while doing the things that we think we should be doing, going to church, reading our Bible, praying. And so as we come to this bread and this cup every week, may we continuously be reminded of the calling that he's laid on our hearts and the fact that we have got to do everything we can not to let the yeast or not to let that mustard seed grow. Now, Luke actually mentions a mustard seed, again, in a positive way a few chapters later. And I feel like it's pretty, it's kind of like bookends. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. The kingdom of God is like mustard seed in the yeast. And then if you had faith like a mustard seed, but that makes total sense, right? Because if we had faith like a mustard seed, does that mean we have a little bit of faith? Is that what God's saying? Or is God saying that if we have faith that is so contagious, nobody can get rid of it? Then we can say to this mountain, move, and it'll move. So as we take this bread and this cup every week, may we allow it, God, to cleanse us, to remind us that he is the way, and that our mission is clear, to love him and to love others. Let's pray.